Amen. Uh, Our scripture today comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Let me read this real quick. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Uh, Church, let's pray together. God, we just thank you so much um, that we could be here. God, that you've welcomed us, that you've invited us into this place. Um, Jesus, we believe, I say this, we believe that we are not singing to or preaching about or in the presence of an idea or a philosophy or a myth. We are in the presence of the living God who's created all things, who's rescued us, who's saved us, and who desires us to be with him because you love us. And so God, in full view of that, in full view of your presence here today, I just pray that you lead me, guide me. God, as I preach this morning, um, I confess my own insufficiency in this moment. But God, you are good, you are powerful. Just move through me, let your words go forth. I pray that you preach a second sermon that is greater um, than anything that I could come up with. And I pray, oh God, that your spirit would just do what your spirit does. Let's see resurrection in this place, God. Let there be new life, let there be families put back together let there just be reconciliation jesus out of your love for us we do love you in the name of jesus i pray amen amen you all can be seated it's good to see you and good to be with you my name is logan smith for those of you who do not know me i'm the weird guy who stands here in the middle and videotapes baptisms and that's my whole job um i'm just kidding i'm the worship pastor and the student pastor here and uh i'm just excited to be with you guys especially because it's advent and i love advent Advent is the season where we do two things. One, we celebrate uh, the arrival of Jesus come born as a baby, born to save. Um, but then we look forward to the day when Jesus is going to come back. And I just, I love this season. It's, probably, it's my favorite time of the year. And uh, each week throughout the season, there's a new focus. So last week, um, uh, Robert preached and he preached on hope. Um, did a phenomenal job on that topic of hope. And so today's focus, as we've already said, is on love. And we're going to be talking about God's love for us. And so um, before I get into this very Christmassy passage, um, I want to take a moment and me just be personally confessional with you guys, okay? Um, God has a very funny way, funny is the word you could use, a uh, funny way of placing us in positions to, that intentionally make us weak so that he could be proven strong, okay? Now, I say funny. Sometimes the word's annoying, but it's funny, all right? Let's just be real. Don't, don't, don't be like, oh my gosh, you said that. You, you, you feel it too, okay? All right, and so, um, and what I mean by that is this. So every Advent season, um, obviously Jeff kind of takes a break and we, we have different people that come in and preach and so when I, when I schedule people to preach during Advent, what I intentionally try to do is take all the people who want to preach, let them have first dibs, like Tuesday it works for you that you're able to do, and then I'll take what's left, okay? And so I happen to land on today, and of course I'm going to land on today where the focus is on God's love for us, because if I'm just going to be really confessional with you guys, okay, I've just, I've been in a season where I've just been in like a love rut, like for my own affections for Jesus, my own urgency for the kingdom, my own just, just passion for Jesus. Like it's just not been where I want it to be. 
Like I, like, I just gotta be honest with you guys. It's not that, like, that, not that I'm not reading my Bible, I'm not, I'm not praying or not doing mission. It's not that I'm even, like, in a bad season of life. Like, I'm, none of these things are the case. Just, like, in a love rut, you know? And it's just, there's a lot of things that have happened in my life the past few months. Uh, my wife and I, we just had our daughter, who we love so very much, Melody. But let's just, let's just be real. Two kids are hard. Parents, come on. It's hard, all right? And, it's, and I'm tired. <laughs> and it, it's a lot. I mean, last night, so like today is my, my son Ezra. It's his fifth birthday today, which is just, stop, man, you're five, stop. All right, anyway, so um, today's his birthday, and last night I'm doing my like little midnight feeding with Melody, and it's, let's say it's midnight, it's almost one in the morning. I'm just, I'm feeding her, and I'm like, what is that noise? I hear this weird noise outside her door and I'm like, what in the world is that? So I get up and I open the door and there's Ezra throwing up all over the hallway. All right, and I'll also say this, I was not fully honest during first service. He's fine, he's totally fine. He just overrated on Pedro's, all right? He had too much quesadilla. But the other confession of that is I made him keep eating his quesadilla because he hadn't eaten in a while, so I, I take blame for that. My wife was very quick to point that out to someone who checked in on Ezra after first service. Uh, so my fault. Um, but, it, but like it's tiring, right? Like it's exhausting. And then, so like we, we had his birthday party we had to plan yesterday and we had to go and be at. And then uh, we had family over for Thanksgiving and then we had to go family for Thanksgiving and we've thrown baby showers for friends at our, at our home, which we're happy and joyful to do. Um, but then we've got you know, Christmas coming up and we got family things at our house for Christmas and Christmas party for the youth next week. And it's just like, I'm just tired and I'm stressed and I get anxious. And the fact of the matter is when I get in that place, like I have this tendency that I hate, but it's part of what I do. I just have this tendency to shut down. And, I, and, and it just wears on my affections for Jesus and it wears on my urgency for the king and for the kingdom and my, on my passion for him. So of course he's gonna have me preach on love. <laughs> when my own affections are not where I want them to be right? But that's what God does. <laughs> Puts us in positions where his power can be made perfect in our weakness. And so um, I, I say all that because if, if I know I'm not the only one, like I'm not the only one, okay? I'm not the only one who goes through these ruts. I'm not the only one who may be in a rut right now. And, and the fact of the matter is like, I, I'm not the only one who needs the reminder that God desperately loves me. And, I'm, and, and, and here's the thing, we're, we're, we're in the Christmas season, okay? I love the Christmas season. It's, it's like my favorite time of the year, but for a lot of us in this room, this, you hate this season because this season's just hard. Um, for a lot of people in this room, this could be your first Christmas without people you love desperately that you've lost this year. Um, for some of us, this is your first Christmas going through divorce. Some of us, this is our first Christmas of just, it, it, it was just so busy in the Christmas season. Maybe you're just so stressed during the season because maybe you're struggling to get gifts for your kids and you're feeling like a bad parent. Like whatever the reason, like sometimes, like let's just be real, this season's hard on a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And so if you're like me, you might be in a little bit of a love rut today and you just need a reminder that God deeply loves you. So, so much. I needed that reminder today. 
And so my prayer for this morning is that as we get into this passage, as we behold, as we sang earlier, as we behold the goodness of Jesus, gosh, that there would just be a fresh wind and a fresh fire and a fresh love and awakening in my heart and in your heart for the king and the kingdom as we see his love for us. So are y'all ready to get into it? I've talked a lot, talked enough. All right, let's, let's get into it. So again, let's look at these super Christmassy verses, right? Because who doesn't read about the burning bush on Christmas day? I've never seen nativity scene with a burning bush in it, all right? Um, but this has everything to do with Christmas, as we're gonna see, all right? So um, I, I'm an Old Testament kind of guy. I love the Old Testament. And so through my own quiet time, I started reading through the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And um, I read this passage here in Exodus 3 a few months ago. I was leading worship at Crossings for their, uh, all their kids' camps. And, you know, I got away to do my quiet time one day, and I came across this passage, and it was just like, gosh, just what the Lord did in my heart as I read this is just what I want to share with you all this morning, okay? And so... Um, let's talk about it. So we, we've got Moses. We know Moses. He's all right. He's a good dude, right? Has some mistakes every once in a while. He's a pretty important figure in the Bible, kind of. Um, he, what we know about Moses up to this point is that he was rescued as a baby, right? His mom put him in the, in the basket to, to save him from Pharaoh's wrath, but he's ironically, I would say sovereignly saved into Pharaoh's own house, right? He, he is saved by Pharaoh's daughter. So he grows up in Pharaoh's house. He grows up as royalty. And then one day he sees a fellow Egyptian mistreating his fellow Israelite. And Moses does what any logical person would do. He kills him. And so Moses, out of fear for his life, what does he do? He, he takes off running. He runs from Egypt. He runs from where he had grown up. And so he, he runs away, comes to Midian. He uh, comes in contact with Jethro, who's the high priest of Midian. He marries and falls in love with his daughter. And uh, now he's a shepherd. And notice it's not even his own flock. It's his father-in-law's flock. And it says that he's, in, in Acts, it says that by the time we get to this point, he has been shepherding his father-in-law's flock for 40 years at this point, okay? And so then we come to this point where Moses gets to the burning bush. And so one day Moses, he's leading his father-in-law's flock to the west of Midian to a place called Horeb. Now here's the thing. Um, when you read your Bibles, guys, please don't read quickly because little things matter. And this matters immensely. Horeb, the mountain where, where, he, where he comes to the burning bush, okay, this mountain is um, probably better known by another name, and that name is Sinai. Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. Now, Sinai, we, what do we think of when we think of Sinai? Well, we think of the law, Right? Because if, if you don't know your Old Testament history, let me, let, me, let me fill you in here, okay? A few chapters later in Exodus 19, the people of Israel, they're led out of Egypt and they are, have come to Mount Sinai and here God shows up. And he shows up in this incredibly big way. He comes down as a pillar of fire and smoke and there's thunder and there's lightning and it's terrifying. As a matter of fact, it says that even if animals were to approach the mountain and, and take a step onto the mountain, they essentially would be like gloried to death by God's presence. 
right? And so in this mountain, as God's presence is there, as he's showing up to the people, he gives the law. Now, there's a lot of law. You ever read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? They're hard, because <laughs> it's law, 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 law. And it is law on how to build the tabernacle. There's law on, um, you know, just pro proper worship and sacrifices. There's law about how to treat your neighbors. There's laws about sexuality. There's laws about clean and unclean animals. There's even laws about what clothes you can wear and about how long your beard should be. Like there's laws about everything. And it's in many ways exhausting. And so when, like, when you hear Sinai, that's what comes to mind. Just this, this big mountain that is associated with law and works and of this trying to earn favor with God. And in many ways, it's associated with this incredible fear of breaking that law because of how powerful God's presence was. Like the author of Hebrews, he describes it this way. He says it's terrifying. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. says, you've not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, listen, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So Moses in Exodus 3 brings his father-in-law's flock to Horeb, also called Sinai, that is so synonymous, one with law and rules and do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that. And two, it's associated with this incredibly powerful and horrific picture of God that essentially tells us if you can't keep these laws, if you can't keep these commands, then all this power that you see up here, it's coming for you, right? That is what Sinai is so typically associated with and in many ways it's terrifying and it's burdensome. And if we're gonna be real, for a lot of us, that's the picture of God you still got. Man, it's just this incredibly powerful, wrathful, all-consuming, deadly fire who's essentially just sitting up there in heaven watching you, waiting for you to mess up his rules so that he can punish you. We just, we just have this picture of this wrathful, vengeful God who just, he's just out to ruin your fun by giving you a bunch of rules and then discipline you when you don't do it because you can't do it, right? And so when you do mess up, not if, but when, when you do mess up, when you do sin, when you do break one of these many laws that are given, you become crippled with such fear and guilt and shame and you enter into a love rut and you don't even feel like you can approach God anymore. Right? Here's the thing. While yes, God has given us commands and laws that he fully expects us to live by and while he is an all-consuming fire, and yes, he is powerful and he fully expects holiness from us. That picture of Sinai is not the whole picture of God. It's not. Look back at Exodus 3. Look at verse 2 in Exodus 3 real quick. Look, there's a fire 
but it's a little flame and it's not consuming the bush. There's a bigger picture of God that we have got to see that appears at Mount Sinai. Let's go to Exodus 3, verses 7 through 12. So Moses, he's seen the bush, he comes up to it, and it's, I don't know, I kind of laugh when I read that part because he's like, whoa, let me, let me see this bush that's on fire but not burning. Well, of course you do. What, what else are you going to do? You'd be like, nah, I don't know. I'm, I'm personally going to go look at it. But anyway, so Moses goes to the bush. God starts speaking to him out of it. And here's what he says, verses 7 through 12. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So I need you all to get this this morning, okay? On this mountain, this mountain that is synonymous throughout whole Israelite history of law and rules and doom and gloom and commands and all these things, before a single command is ever given to the people of Israel, there's one command given to one man and that command is go rescue my people. There is a rescue that comes first. Do you see that? Before the law, before God ever gives us law, before he ever gives us commands, before he ever gives us the do's and don'ts, he gives us the rescue first. So you see, like Moses, he comes to this. He's called by God to go rescue the people. Now, why does the rescue come first? It's simple. Because he loves his people. Because he loves us. Look at the love and compassion of God in these scriptures. He says, Look, I, I've seen them in their slavery. Like, they're crying to me and I hear them. Like, I'm, I'm aching for them, I'm broken for them, and I want to rescue them. I want to deliver them out of this slavery. You need to go get my people so I can take them to a new land, a land that is abundant and beautiful and awesome, and they can serve me lovingly when they come to this land after I have rescued them. Does that sound like a vengeful, spiteful, malicious God who just wants you to give you a bunch of rules? No! That's not who he is. He is the God who desperately, deeply loves his people. He is not after Israel so they can, they can mindlessly just keep his rules. He's after them because he loves them. Do you see that? And so this love, this rescue, it actually becomes the basis of the law. It becomes the reason for the law. Like his love is not the result of their perfect law keeping. It's the reason the law is given in the first place. 
It's so that they can walk in the fullness of his love. They can walk in the fullness of his presence. They can enjoy that unbroken fellowship with him. It's why David, King David himself, would pray so many times in the Psalms that the words of the law are sweeter than honey to the mouth. He said they are living water in dry and desolate places. It is life itself. It's because it flows out of love. And as you continue to read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, yeah, yeah, it's hard, but here's what I want you to notice. Every time a law is given, God constantly reminds them of the rescue that came first. He always does. I mean, look at Exodus chapter 20, verses two and three. Um, This is the 10 commandments. First laws given to the, commands given to the people on Sinai. He is there in this big cloud of fire and all this doom and gloom stuff, right? But here's what he says. I am the Lord you, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. See, he, he had to bring them back. The rescue came first. And so, Before he gives them the law, he has to remind that the rescue came first. It's what makes the law beautiful and not burdensome. So he's heard them in their slavery. He's seen their hurt. He's seen their pain. And in deep love for his people, he rescued them first so that they could faithfully and lovingly obey him. You see, we can think of God as this cruel, vengeful taskmaster. Or maybe you have this idea of God in your head that like maybe like in the Old Testament he's that way, but somehow between Malachi and Matthew he got nice and now in the New Testament he's different. But that's not the picture. The rescue always comes first. Every time. From Genesis to Revelation it is the story of rescue that always comes first. It's one God and it's one rescue. You see that? So here's where we now come to Advent. Because like the Israelites in their slavery, every single one of us in in this room have lived as slaves. We have lived as slaves of our sin and to the sins of everybody else. Look at John chapter eight, verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jeff said this uh, a few weeks ago throughout our reset, our Experiencing God series. He says, look, outside of Jesus, you are owned by your sin. It's not just something you do. It owns you. It's got complete and total control. You have no say over what it does in your life. And as slaves of sin, every single one of us have been deeply burdened and hurt by it, not just by our own sin, but by the sins of others as well, and it has beaten us down to our core. Because the effects of sin are real. And it looks like a lot of things. It looks like divorce. It looks like racism. It looks like war. It looks like abuse, neglect, the deaths of loved ones, infertility, broken families, wayward children, poverty, depression, anxiety, loneliness, addiction, 
suicide, overdose, slavery, abortion, hatred, gender dysphoria, do I really need to keep going? And if you're like me in the, the, in this morning and you've just been in a love rut, can I tell you the ultimate cause of it and the ultimate cause of mine? It's sin. Maybe not your own, but there's no escape from the sin-enslaved world that we live in and the effects that we feel on a daily basis. But church, I'm here today to tell you that there's good news. I gotta tell you there's good news because here's the thing. God hears the cries of his people who are in slavery. God hears the cries when we are under our taskmaster. He knows the burdens. He knows the pain. And he is not a God who just says, all right, well, let me give you some rules and some laws that you can do and then maybe they'll make it better later on down the road. No, God instead gave one command to one person. That command was go rescue my people. That man's name is Jesus. And he came to rescue us from our slavery. Look at Matthew chapter one, verses 21 and through 23. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save, he will rescue his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Guys, Jesus is the great rescue. He is the great rescue and it would come in the humblest form of a baby in a manger. You know, I told you all earlier that my wife and I, we just had um, our baby Melody. She's almost three months old now, and she is precious. Yes, I am wrapped. I am this daddy's little girl. You better believe. Um, she's beautiful, uh, but she is tiny. <laughs> um, we went to the doctor a couple of uh, weeks ago for her uh, two-month checkup, and she's 90th percentile in length and 10th percentile in weight. All right, so like I call her my little fettuccine. Right? She is long and skinny. All right, and I just love her and she's precious and I love those times. I get to just hold her and look at her and hear her coo and smile and all these things. And here's the thing. There are times that I'm holding her and I'm looking at her and I can't help but think that my God became this. Gosh, he became this to pull me out of my slavery, to rescue me, this is what God became to become the greater rescue. And you see in Moses, you see in this rescue of, of Israel that, that it is all pointing to Jesus and his rescue of us from the first place. I mean, look at all the parallels of how Jesus and Moses, like they, they, they're in parallel together. Look at how Jesus becomes the greater rescue. Uh, Moses, we already said this, he was born up in royalty, right? He was raised in royalty in Pharaoh's house, but will one day become a shepherd. Jesus left the royalty of heaven to shepherd his father's flock. Look at Philippians chapter two, verses six through seven. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, 
I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. When Moses asked God, who am I to be sent to Pharaoh? What was God's reply? Was it, well, you know the political system. You grew up in the house of royalty. You're perfectly positioned to be in this light. No, what did he say? He said, you go because I'm coming with you. Jesus' name, Emmanuel, God with us. The Hebrew word for bush is burning bush, right? That word has the picture of a very specific type of bush. You know what it is? A thorn bush. Jesus would take a crown of thorns on his head as he took a cross for the rescue of us from our sin. As God appears to Moses on the very same mountain where the law would be given, Jesus would be led to a mountain to die so that we who could not keep that law would have the law totally fulfilled in his death. And Moses, who was presumed dead by all of Egypt, will one day come back to lead his people out. Jesus was dead for three days, but not four. He got up and he came to let us out. Do you see it? From the very beginning, the rescue has come first. And now the rescue has come in Jesus. The greater rescue who leads us out of the slavery of our sin and death. And why did this rescue come? Because he loves us. It's not because we're already perfect and have already kept the law and have already kept the rules. It's just because he loves us. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is not something God does, people. God, love is who God is. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Do you see it? As we celebrate Advent because God's love has come and it is a rescuing love. And it has always been a rescuing love. And some of us in here, you know, Robert said this last week, but it's true. Some of us in here can be like, okay, I get it, but you don't know my sin. Like you don't know the depths of my sin. You don't know how deep I've been in this. You don't know the sins I'm still struggling with. Some of y'all are like, well, I mean, that's great and everything, but you don't know the year I've had. You don't know the people I've lost. You don't know the things that I've had to deal with on a daily basis because of other people's sin toward me. You don't know about my financial struggles and this is the overwhelming weight of that on my family. You don't know of what we've been through this week. Let's, listen to me, guys. God is the God of rescue, period. Like, I know the effects and the realities of sin. Like, they are real, but they're not your master anymore. Whatever sins you have in your life, 
You've got to believe that the love of Jesus at the cross of Calvary has covered that sin. Whatever sin you are still struggling with, you've got to believe that the love of Christ at the cross of Calvary is more than sufficient to empower you over that sin and let you walk in the holiness and in the goodness of the law that he gives. You've got to believe that whatever year you've had, whatever rut you may be in, I've got to believe that the rut I'm in, the cross of Jesus is more than sufficient to pull me up from it so I can walk in his great love. Our God deeply, desperately loves you. He's not after your perfection. He's after you. Remember, the rescue always comes first. And it has come in Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing about Advent. Not only has the rescue come, guys, one day it's coming in full. Rescue ain't done yet. And one day it's coming in full. We all know the effects of sin. One day, even the effects of sin are gonna be a distant memory. Like Revelation chapter 21, verses one through four. I read this every single Advent season and it's because it's one of my all-time favorite scriptures. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Listen, as long as we're here, we're gonna feel the effects and the weight of our former slave master. We're gonna feel it. It's gonna hurt. But one day, he's coming back. I will never feel that again. I will never be in a love rut again. I will never give in to a single sin again. And I will never feel the weight of somebody else's sin against me ever again. Because one day he is coming back. And he's not coming back as a fearful mountain of doom and gloom and fire and thunder. He is coming back as a husband to get his bride. He desperately loves us. As we come to a close, I want to give two invitations. First off, if you're in this room this morning, you've never known the love of God. Gosh, maybe you're in here because all you see of God is this taskmaster, break my rules or I'm going to smite you, be perfect. 
here's all my law, all my rules just to ruin your life and ruin your fun. That is not the God that we serve. Our God is a God of rescue. You need to understand if you are not in Jesus, you are a slave to your sin. And scripture tells us that as slaves to our sin, there is a consequence. There is a fearful expectation of judgment for us because our sin separates us from God. But God did not leave you to be separated from him. He came to rescue you. He sent Jesus to take every single sin that is yours and to claim them as his own that we never sinned. And he died the death you deserve for your sin. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead so that he could rescue you into new life where his law is not a burden. Gosh, it is a blessing into abundant life. If you're in here, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Surrender to his love. Look at the love of Christ. Would today be a day of salvation for you? Would you surrender your life to the great love of Jesus this morning? And the second invitation is if you're like me and this morning, you're in here, man, it's just been a love rut. Gosh, your affections just aren't where you want them to be. Maybe it's just been a hard season. And you know it's gonna keep being a hard season throughout these next few weeks. Listen, if that's you, my invitation is just behold the love of Jesus. Look at the rescue that always comes first. Don't try and earn your way out of the rut. You can't. Don't try and keep enough rules out of the rut. You can't. Rest in the finished rescue of Jesus and let his love lead you out of the rut and into beautiful fellowship with him. During this time of invitation, we're gonna have counselors up here that'll be more than willing to pray with you and pray for you. The invitation, church, is this. Whosoever will, for whatever reason, will you come? Church, let's stand and let's continue to worship our God.